0: Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective.
1: 2020 on Vision. There's been significant coverage in the media this week about how Australian universities are resistant to the study of Western civilization. Yesterday, the Australian National University Chancellor Gareth Evans, who you will remember as a former Labour foreign minister, made a stark warning. Outlining why he thinks teaching Western civilization is bad. Well, as a Christian, you may wonder what all the concern is about, since much of what we call Western civilization has been influenced and shaped by Judeo-Christian values. And we live in a free and flourishing society. So, why are Australian universities Resistance to philanthropic funding from the Ramsey Center to promote an interest in Western civilization. Now the Ramsey Center is offering universities ongoing funding as part of a three billion dollar bequest from the late healthcare magnate Paul Ramsey. So let's get some insights into this controversy and try to make sense of it from a Christian perspective. Special guest joining us over this next hour, Dr. Stephen Shavura is a political theorist and intellectual historian. He's been a lecturer at the Department of Modern History, Politics and International Relations at Macquarie University in Sydney and more recent development there, teaching history at Campion College in Sydney. Dr. Stephen Shavura, welcome back to 2020.
0: Great to be here. Um, looking forward to the discussion.
1: Well, Stephen, let's start with your thoughts on Gareth Evans, uh, the chancellor at the Australian National University. His warning now to other universities uh, to resist a focus on Western civilization. Uh, what, a, what have your thoughts been about mm. that? Uh, that statement that he's
0: made? Yeah, I mean it raises. Uh one of the the, the the uh the confusions in the debate over the last six months about exactly what Ramsey are trying to do. Uh there are some who say that, well, what's happening in the universities is that Western civilization isn't being studied anymore. Uh, but that's actually not quite the case. I mean, when I went through a uh, university, admittedly it was 20 years ago, at Western Sydney University, uh, we studied um, lots of uh, Western civilization, Australian history, European history, but we also did Asian history. And I think you'll find most universities in Australia, their history departments would focus probably on the West. Uh, so, you know, universities do probably, for the most part, focus on the West. Uh, I, I think where things uh, get a little, uh, where the problem lies is the exact attitude that they take towards the West in these classes. And it tends to be a very left-wing, condemnatory uh, attitude towards the West to the effect that really almost nothing good uh, can come out of Western thought or institutions. It's really just a history of oppression. Uh, So, I mean, there are these sorts of uh, confusions in the debate, but on the suggestion that that universities should resist focusing on Western civilization, even if that suggestion was made, uh, it would be an absolutely ridiculous suggestion to make because what other universities other than Western universities would be would, would be most qualified actually to to teach about themselves um, they sort of know they sort of know their own heritage from the inside out and Western universities aren't teaching Western civilization, then how are people outside of the West going to get that sort of inside perspective on exactly what Western civilization is? So the the notion that uh, the, the, the emphasis on the West should be reduced or minimized or that it's somehow pernicious is uh, foolish, in my opinion.
1: Let's just pause for a few moments to reflect here on what Western civilization is. Sometimes it sounds a little bit like a, an ethereal type of a terminology and means an awful lot of things, and it's obviously very sophisticated. But when we talk about Western civilisation, hand-in-hand uh, hand with that, uh, we've got Western culture, we talk about the Western world... Western yeah. society. Uh, your thoughts, just quickly, if we were able to just define that, and uh, for some listeners who'll be thinking, well, yes, I've heard all of this terminology about Western civilization. What does it actually mean? When did it actually start? And how did it actually, you know, gather momentum and make all this big difference?
0: Yeah, look, it's a, it's a very difficult question to answer in terms of what Western civilization is, because Western civilization. Uh, whatever it is, has, has never been static. It's, it's always been evolving. Uh, you know, you might describe any civilization as not so much a collection of unique ideas, but a unique collection of ideas. That is that, you know, the, the West has, has um, a, a collection of ideas, some of which may be found in other civilizations. Um, so, for example, you know... Um, Uh, monotheism, for example, is found in both Western and Islamic uh, civilization, but say monotheism and liberal democracy is something that is unique to the West. So Western civilization is a kind of unique combination of ideals and historical processes. Um, And so when we talk about Western civilization, generally speaking, you know, we, we tend to talk about the ideas and institutions and, and modes of literature that you, you might say emerged uh, from ancient Greece and over time in dialogue, often with civilizations that would be considered non-Western, like Islamic, uh, Persian and, and, and uh, Judaic, uh, the, 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 a sort of se- a series of institutions and ideas emerged in a dialogue. Uh, that we would call Western. So, Western civilization may actually be uniquely difficult to define because it may actually be less static uh, and less, in some ways, coherent than other kinds of civilizations. It's constantly evolving, it's constantly borrowing, and that may actually be the reason why it's been so successful in many ways. Um, to, to take one example, yeah, absolutely Christianity is central to Western civilization, but of course it's, it's central to Western civilization from the first century onwards, not before that. But, 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 but it's interesting to think that when we talk about Christianity, that also means then that Judaism is central to Western civilization because Christianity itself is an offshoot of Judaism. Uh, And so it's a tricky question. Uh, And so when we talk about Western civilization, we might talk about a collection of ideals like uh, respect for reason, respect for monotheism, uh, respect for rule of law, uh, sort of an emphasis on, 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 an eventual emphasis on science, an eventual emphasis on liberal democracy, uh, Protestantism, a whole bunch of things that when all put together, make up something that we call Western civilization.
1: And I imagine if we were looking to, uh, you know, simplify a definition here, you're talking about civilization that emerged out of a European context uh, and then uh, since Christ as we say over this last 2,000 years has had this really heavy influence of Christianity, bringing about a lot of those differences that you're talking about to Eastern Civilization. So you've got Western Civilization as contrasted with Eastern Civilization, but this influence by Christianity has helped to shape all of those different things you're talking about, Steve.
0: Oh, look, there is is not a scholar on the face of the planet who would attempt to define Western civilization apart from Christianity, uh, it would be an absolutely ridiculous uh, proposition. Uh, Christianity, um, uh, we may even say more accurately, Judeo-Christianity, has been absolutely central uh, to the evolution of Western institutions and Western ideals, whether that is the ideal of liberal democracy, or whether that is the ideal of Of science, based on the proposition that the universe is rational, and that the universe reveals the nature of a rational and benevolent creator, Uh, you know, Christianity has been absolutely central to the study of Western civilization, and you cannot have any kind of sufficient grasp on the history of Western civilization. Uh, without a strong understanding of Christianity, particularly Christianity in its Roman Catholic and then uh, Protestant varieties. Um, And not not a serious historian in the world would, would deny that.
1: Steve, let's come back to the Ramsey Centre, the $3 billion bequest and uh, the offer to universities to have these degrees in Western civilization. Whenever I read reports in the mainstream media, nobody seems to be talking about the Christian influence uh, which is really such an integral part of Western civilization and of course it does draw us to a a question that really needs to be asked, Uh, is there a resistance to this teaching of Western civilization because of this Christian influence given we're talking about left wing uh, almost atheistic uh, cultural Marxist forces that are resistant to the idea that this sort of teaching might happen in our best universities
0: oh i i I believe that that is the case and those left-wing uh sort of quasi-marxist forces that you speak of they are definitely there you know that is not just sort of paranoia on on the part of you know so-called culture warriors you know i've i've worked in in the universities now for 16 years full-time And we'll probably talk about this later, Neil, but but, um, those ideological biases are there and they're very strong. I think one of the reasons why many academics, not all academics, we, we should say, but many academics would be very skittish about the idea of especially focusing on the Christian element of Western civilization, is that they fear that in the current political climate where the culture wars are almost a kind of resurgence of traditional Christianity and traditional Christian values against the sort of moral philosophical legacy of the nineteen sixties, they fear that the universities themselves could actually become vessels to further the cause of the conservative side of the of the culture wars. So I mean, you know, part of the culture wars is this idea that a Christian heritage needs to be uh, recovered uh, in, in order to sort of save civilize, save Western civilization from its own demise. Uh, uh, and so I think that there are sort of, when, when we try to ask why there might be hesitation or skittishness within the universities uh, to have some sort of focus on the Christian contribution to world that we now live in here in the West. uh, We need to put that in a political context that that they feel that that would lend credence to a particular side of the culture wars that they don't think uh, should have any influence at all.
1: Well, you've certainly got your finger on the pulse here because when we come back to the Ramsey Centre, we're talking about this three billion dollar bequest well on the board of the Ramsey Center uh, two very significant political figures two former prime ministers two former prime ministers that would be prominent in their Christian bias when it comes to all of these issues we're talking about talking about of course uh, John Howard and Tony Abbott they are on the board uh, so the fact that they are on the board, uh, does that in fact politicise this whole issue of the funding and is that, do you think, uh, where the red light or the caution light is coming from uh, these university chancellors and those who are lecturers in universities to say, hang on a second, this looks a little bit like it's a politicised funding and, as you say, who wants to put a stopper uh, on some of the left-wing uh, bias that seems to be so prevalent in universities?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, you know, one one might be able to argue that having uh, uh, any politicians on uh, the Ramsey board, or on the academic board, uh, you, you know, was a strategic error. Uh, certainly having John Howard and Tony Abbott w- was sort of like holding up a, a red rag to a bull. Uh, having said that, though, the, the, uh, the ironic thing is, is that... Um, uh, you know that the, the, ch- the Chancellor of uh, ANU is Gareth Evans again, a former Labor politician, but no one seems to have a problem with that appointment. So you know, lurking behind these critiques of politicians on the Ramsey board, uh, really is an ideological, um, an ideological um, objection there that that these these men are conservative. Uh, you know, ha- having said that, though, it was entirely predictable that having both Howard and, and Tony Abbott on the board would have uh, caused problems that otherwise may not have occurred. And I suspect that's probably why Ramsey also had Kim Beasley on the board as well, to try to um, minimise any chance of-, of accusation that it was uh, p- politically and ideologically biased. So does it necessarily mean that the whole ramsey venture is political not at all but what it has done unfortunately is made it very easy for critics of the ramsey center who would have criticized it anyway uh, to say that it's political and it's nothing more than uh, uh, an attempt to sort of uh, shoehorn uh, ideological interests into universities and and let's face it, um, you know, you know the, the, the opinion piece on, on the Ramsey Centre that Tony Abbott wrote for Quadrant some months ago didn't help. Although, again, having said that, all Tony Abbott has done is make the same kind of commentary about Western civilization that leftist academics have been making for years, except from a conservative point of view. Life
1: And our talkback line open 1-800-316-316 To join in our conversation today you might also like to leave either a question or a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio Dr Stephen Shavura is our guest political theorist and intellectual historian Stephen let's talk about some of the problems that people have with Western civilization Uh, There's one criticism that suggests that uh, studying Western civilization actually bolsters xenophobia and national chauvinism in our society. Uh, does it make us look a little bit supremacist if we're proudly saying that we are a Western civilization?
0: Um, I mean, I mean, to me, the short answer is no. Uh, you know, I, I think the the only people who would think that any kind of Pride in one's own civilization necessarily uh, equates to chauvinism and a superiority complex are those who can't imagine that there's anything worth praising in Western civilization. And those people are sort of the ideological other side of the coin that uh, of the people that they imagine. I mean, to, to, to say that to have pride in Western civilization is necessarily chauvinistic and lends itself to a, a really ugly kind of nationalism and um, uh, and, and um, superiority complex um, really reveals one's own uh, leftist ideological position more than it reveals anything untoward on the person who actually takes pride and interest in their own civilization. So I don't, I don't consider that a strong uh, criticism of the Ramsey Center at all.
1: Okay, so this idea of a triumphalism, uh, you know, we're from a Western civilization, therefore we're better than every other civilization, that doesn't hold water for you. It's a matter of uh, these civilizations uh, will clearly all have their own strengths and they'll clearly have their weaknesses. Uh, but uh, the fact that people want to come and study in a place like Australia and perhaps pick up uh, some of the uh, Western civilization that might rub off the, on them in universities might be a, a way that people would be actually complementing Western civilization. What are your thoughts on on the attitudes that others from different pasts, different histories around the world might have?
0: yeah well as you, as you say, Neil, the fact of the matter is that uh, people around the world come to Western universities to study in our institutions, which evolved in the West, um, That that is very, very common. Uh, less people from the West are travelling to the non-West uh, to study. And so that must indicate that maybe not in the minds of many left-wing academics, uh, but certainly in the minds of the people that these left-wing academics think that they're speaking for, That there is something of great value and something to be really gained from the institutions that have emerged out of Western civilization. I mean, people vote with their feet. And if Western civilization was as terrible and as oppressive as a lot of people say that it seems to be right now, then why are so many people coming here from the West to study in our institutions? Why are english speaking degrees so valuable in Asian countries, for example, um, you know uh, the fact of the matter is is that academics can bag out this notion of of pride in the western heritage but that that bagging out of that comes from academics it, it doesn 't come from the mass of students who come over to study in our institutions who in actual fact, really enjoy the experience and see it as something incredibly valuable.
1: If Western civilization in fact, is superior to some of the other civilizations that we might be able to point to, uh, is there a certain sense that we need to be very humble about that? But uh, humility doesn't mean, I imagine, uh, ignoring our history and trying to erase it from the past, uh, because I imagine that if Western civilization has done so much good, we perhaps need to have a little bit of pride in that, Steve.
0: Yeah. Well, humility, arguably, isn't a, a, a trait of, of, may, of many civilizations. Um, you know, Confucian civilization uh, is not particularly humble in the way that it sees other civilizations. I mean, you know, you, the Chinese and the, and the Japanese cultures and the to- have a notorious superiority complex to the rest of the world. Uh, Islam, Islamic civilizations are not particularly humble. And so, so humility, if, if there is a sort of a lack of humility in the West, that's, that's nothing unique to the West. Um, but w- look, I, I think that the, the, the question of inferiority, superiority, Neil, is a very interesting one, and it raises a sort of philosophical question that hasn't really been discussed in this debate, and that is, well, how do you tell whether civilizations can actually be ranked against one another, is it act- does it actually make any sense? And is it possible to say that one civilization is better than another? Or is it the case that they can't be ranked, can't be compared at all? That is that they're incommensurable. And, and the thing is, Neil, um, that none of the, an- the answers to these questions are things that themselves need to be worked out. They- they're, not- they're not obvious. It's not obvious that... Um, All civilizations are equal. That's not an obvious thing. It's not necessarily obvious that one civilization is superior to another. And it's certainly not obvious that you can't compare them at all. All of those are, are very contestable. And so when a university comes out and says, oh, you know, you shouldn't say that one civilization is superior to another... Well, I can understand that over a dinner table where you have people from different cultures together, why that might not be polite to do. I can understand that. But as an academic exercise, as a philosophical academic exercise, that is a perfectly valid exercise. Um, so in terms of talking about civilizations, um, well, let, let me put it this way, Neil, if I, if I may just continue for another minute. Yeah. If you can criticise the West and bag out the West and say, well, the West has been oppressive... Uh, the West has rejected equality, Uh, the West has been xenophobic, then that assumes that there are some objective standards by which we can measure civilizations. that civilizations that are more oppressive than others, that are more xenophobic than others, that are more inegalitarian than others, must be inferior, uh, at least in respect to those values. So, being able to crit- critique your own civilization presupposes that there are objective standards by which civilizations can be critiqued. And that almost lends itself to the suggestion that you can actually rank civilizations based on the extent to which they fulfill positive ideals. Um, and uh, it's interesting to say that those who bag out Western civilization for being oppressive and, 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 and inegalitarian and, and, and those kinds of things, the very ideals that they're drawing on to bag the West out are in many ways Western ideals. They themselves are drawing on the Western, uh, on, on, on a Western strand of thought uh, to bag out the West itself. And so there, there are all these unresolved questions that are interesting to resolve, and, and they shouldn't just be shut down because they're politically incorrect. Uh, the question of whether you can rank civilizations or not is a perfectly valid philosophical question
1: well our listeners might like to contribute our talk back line is open on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen less than three minutes out from the news let's take a call from Liz in Jacobs well in queensland. Hello Liz welcome along Hello Liz what are I'll your thoughts
2: try and, I'll try and make it really quick because I know you're coming up to the news uh, I just kind of think that we're not talking about uh, anything openly anymore without more friction than is sensible. So, but I wanted to say, with the lady that um, spoke about xenophobia and, and uh, male chauvinism, didn't Western, Western civilization give we, me, women, the vote? I mean, shouldn't it be open for discussion to look at the good and the bad that came with it? No, we didn't treat Aboriginals particularly well. About time we get that out in the open. I agree with that. Get it out in the open, sure, but don't use it to bludgeon it. Us. Use it to open discussion and improve things. So shouldn't there be open discussion on all these topics rather than blocking um, everything in case of because they're afraid of it?
1: Uh, Liz, good thoughts. Uh, a response from Stephen.
0: Oh, yeah, Liz. Um, look, that's a great point. And, of course, it, it, it cautions us about... Um, uh, sort of simplistic uh, statements about, well, oh, the West is good or the West is bad. I mean, obviously, and we all know this, that there are all sorts of good and bad things that emerged out of Western civilization. Um, now, you know, t- you know take uh, you know, slavery, for example. Yeah, the-, the West indeed did practice slavery, but of course, it's also out of out of Western ideas, particularly uh, Christian evangelical ideas being expressed in the Enlightenment, that the anti-slavery movement uh, picked up a lot of steam. The same thing goes for religious toleration. I mean, it, 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 is, it is definitely the case that Christianity was very, very intolerant for hundreds and hundreds of years. But as Perez Zagorin, the great historian, pointed out in his book, uh, How the Idea of Religious Toleration Came to the West, he he points out that it's also in the West, and particularly from Christian theology, that ideas of toleration prevailed as well. So the the, the legacy of the West is is both good and it's bad, and to to merely characterize it as one or the other is absurd, and Liz, your your example of, of sort of women's rights is, is an excellent example. Where... Steve,
1: I'm going to need to cut in yeah. because we're about to go to news. I want to thank no Liz from Jacobs. Well, uh, Steve, uh, let's continue to take some calls. Let's hear first of all from Graham in Cleveland, in Queensland. Hello, Graham. Welcome along.
3: Hello. How you doing?
1: Very well, Graham. What are your thoughts for our conversation today?
3: Oh, I was just thinking um, that. Probably one of the indicators of of how uh, successful Western society is, and and once again not not wanting to uh, brush aside some of the more negative aspects of of what's happened in our society and culture, but perhaps one of the things that's indicating how successful and popular it is is the is that the global citizenry is voting with its feet. Um, you know, when you look at the net migration, I would suggest that it's it's, it's towards uh, Western countries or those with a Western culture and, and a and a society that up until recent times has been uh, had a uh, had a lot of freedoms um, rather than um, rather than towards uh, other countries that are more oppressive and perhaps less uh, less uh, developed I guess we could say.
1: Graham good thoughts there Uh, let's hear from Stephen Shavura.
3: Oh that's absolutely
0: correct and it's something that um, the former um, deputy prime minister of australia john anderson pointed out in an opinion piece in the australian uh, a couple of months back that he said that, you know at the end of the day um you know p- uh, yeah, as you said graham people vote with their feet and you would i mean he, he you know anderson said that there's almost an objective test to teach to tell sort of which civilization uh is most preferable and the test is well just let people travel to where they want to go and see which areas that they go to and and, uh, as you say people travel from the non-west to the west it doesn't really happen the other way around now now why are they doing that well because the west has managed to secure a lot of uh, things that human beings universally want Uh, human beings want prosperity they want social peace Uh, they want uh, an element of freedom Uh, And this is something that that the West has in spades. And so, as you say, you can just get get rid of all the ideology and just, you know, let people sort of say, you know, let people go to where they want. And you find that people will go to the West. They will not go uh, to the non-West. And that's a very interesting test, almost an objective test uh, to see, well, you know, which civilization more meets our needs as human beings today.
1: Graham from Cleveland, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Uh, you might like also to ask a question or leave a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Just before we take another call, Stephen, when we hear from people like Graham and and uh, your response too, that people will gravitate toward those things that are, that are good, uh, I can't resist uh, the thought that people are gravitating towards what is technically the fruit of Christianity. Because as we talked a little earlier about the way the Christian influence has helped to shape the Western civilization over these past 2,000 years, some of these good things that people are gravitating to are in fact the fruit of Christianity. What are your thoughts on on this particular fruit?
0: Yeah, uh, that's absolutely right. I mean, uh, again, um, when you come to understand that central to the way ideas and institutions developed in the West, so central to the way people think about what it is to be a human being, how human beings ought to relate to one another, how they think about the universe, how they think about science, how they think about political systems, uh, central to that was... Christianity, I'm not saying that Christianity was the only thing that fed into the emergence of those ideas and institutions, but it was a major contributing factor. And so, whenever anyone decides to come over to a Western country in order to enjoy those institutions, uh, in order to enjoy the fruits of those institutions so prosperity and civil peace and rule of law then they are coming to a country to enjoy the fruits of institutions that themselves were formed in dialogue with Christianity there, again that is something I don't think
1: you can deny. Okay we're taking calls 1-800-316-316 let's take a call from Shelby in Sunnybank Hills in Queensland. Hello Shelby
2: Hey good morning Neil Hey, buddy, that uh, tortured uh, for Christ it was a beautiful movie, wasn't
1: it? Uh, it was, and uh, yes, I did uh, enjoy catching up with you at that movie. Yes, it was exceptionally good. Uh, Shelby, any thoughts for today's conversation?
2: Yes, look, um, you know, I go back to my grandfather. Um, he was known, he couldn't sing in church, but he was the loudest in church. And the, 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 the church bell um, and little old ch- uh, church, which is at Mount Cotton, still there, um, was the centre of the community. And we've sort of that a little bit, but the great thing is our Christian roots are still there from whence this nation was built, and let alone all, all of the countries throughout the world, I think, that they keep the basic laws of the Ten Commandments. Um, so it's there, it's just that the secular world of today is trying to break away from it. But um, like you even want to chuck the Lord's Prayer out of, the, uh, out of our parliament. Um, but, you know, so that's the point that I make, but if I quickly then finish off you know, we we did this to the average. Abri- I heard that lady talking about the Aboriginal and a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I really enjoyed the other lady that you
1: had on. There's two of them, actually. Shelby, um, let's, uh, about- I'll, I'll just cut you short there because we'll deal with the point that you're making about, uh, and that's a great point too, uh, your local church, the centre hub of the community, and uh, I guess part of what we're talking about is uh, the fruit of Western civilization. but perhaps a, a comment or two from Stephen Shavura on that idea of, of, of how uh, Western civilization actually has given to us these little hubs in the community, and we'd look at them and say, yes, that's the presence of a local church.
0: Well, I mean, Shelby actually brings up a very interesting point, and, and he sort of pointed out how, yeah, you know, in the past, churches were uh, very much central to communities. Uh, in a way that isn't so much the case anymore but i i would hope that churches see that one of their missions uh to sort of reverse the tide of de-christianization in the long period is to try to centralize themselves in communities again but it brings up a very interesting point because what uh shelby has described is sort of is what we might call secularization where central to people's lives is no longer the church but probably something like the state but secularization may have done two things that have sort of undermined the the perceived appreciation of the link between Christianity and Western civilization. So, for example, the more secular society becomes, the more people become totally ignorant of Christianity and the, and Christian history. Because you learn a lot about Christianity and Christian history in churches. You learn about things like the Reformation. You learn about things like the history of the popes, if you... Uh, attend a Roman Catholic church and things like that. But with social secularization, a whole lot of knowledge about not just doctrinal Christianity, but cultural and historical Christianity, it disappears. And so people stop being able to see the Christian elements that still linger in modern culture, and they stop understanding that Western civilization is to some extent the product of Christianity. The second consequence of secularization is... uh, uh, is indifference. So we've got ignorance of it, but also indifference. When religion or when traditional religion ceases to play a major part in people's lives today, they just don't care that much about it. And so whether or not Western civilization was based on the religion of Christianity is something that I don't think is all that important, because religion isn't particularly important to their lives either. So I think pointing out secularisation is very important in terms of trying to come to grips with why there's this seeming ignorance and indifference to the Christian element of Western civilization.
1: Thank you so much to Shelby for your inputs 1-800-316-316 to join our conversation. Let's take a call from Loretta in Coffs Harbour. Hello, Loretta. Welcome along. Oh,
4: hi. Dr. Loretta Kelly, actually, former lecturer uh, that has... Home duties with four-year-old twins now. Um, as an Aboriginal person, I just wanted to comment uh, that so much has happened to our culture because of Western colonisation, and I know that that has been acknowledged on the, in the conversation so far. But I feel, as an Aboriginal Christian, that we didn't need to have the introduction of Western civilization to bring the word of Jesus into our culture. I believe that God is omnipotent and omniscient and he could have brought Jesus to our cultures without it having to be a Western context.
1: Uh, Loretta, good thoughts in there and uh, a response from Stephen Shavura.
0: Uh, that's an excellent point, and that, that uh, Loretta, as you would well know, was one of the great debates that was taking place in the 19th century as missionaries were trying to figure out how, how can we Christianize Aborigines, and, 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 and to make uh, Christian Aboriginals, how can we evangelize Aborigines, I should probably say, and there were those who said, well, in order to evangelize them, first we have to civilize them, which, of course, meant make them just like Westerners, uh, wearing Western clothes, eating a Western diet, engaging in Western agriculture and things like that. And then there were other missionaries who said, well, actually, no, they probably have the cultural ideas and the cultural tools within their own emerged traditions that we can sort of translate Christian concepts into their, into, into their traditions and into their languages, and, uh, so now, now what ultimately happened for the most part is that Aborigines, uh, were more westernized than not. Although, as you also would be aware, Loretta, that, 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 uh, there's also a very strong tradition, which, which remains to this day, of Aborigines, um, expressing gospel truths, but in a kind of, dreamtime uh, dream time language. And so, um, no, you're quite right uh, to point out that problem, and that's something that evangelists were were certainly wrestling with in in the 19th century.
1: And lots more to be said on the topic, but we'll cut it short today. Loretta, and uh, I think you said Dr. Loretta Kelly uh, from Coffs Harbour, thank you so much for your input today here on 2020. A good point to make. Let's take another call. Rob is in Kalgoorlie in WA. Hello, Rob. Welcome along. Yeah, how you going? Good, Rob. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I'm um, just thinking
2: how your son. Well, didn't God make the world for all the people on the planet? Immigration, etc. Uh,
1: yep, sure. Let, uh, response from Steve.
0: Uh, if you, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, but at the same time. You know, theologians in history and, and not just theologians but philosophers you know, like Aristotle have said that or, you know, although the earth in itself might be something that is owned in common by humanity uh, the way that it is administered is something that might require things like private property and in, in the modern world borders to make sure that it is administered in, in, in an efficient way uh, so I'll start with private property. I mean, let's say for argument's sake, and Thomas Aquinas, the great Roman Catholic theologian, agrees with this, that, yeah, indeed, the, the world is something that God made in common for all human beings. Uh, but Aquinas says, but what you'll find is that the world uh, is, is that natural goods are more efficiently administered if there is private property, that is, if people know what they own and what they are responsible for, uh, as opposed to everything being owned by everyone, because as the, as, as Aristotle said uh, in the ancient period that if everyone owns everything, no one looks after anything because uh, it 's always someone else's job and so so the the notion that everything is sort of humankind's in common in one sense is not necessarily incompatible with the idea that some that, 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 that there can be some divisions uh, for the sake of efficiency and for the sake of greater prosperity. And the same could go with borders. Uh, So, for example, let's say you removed all the borders um, in the world and anyone could just move anywhere. Well, how long, for example, do you think Australia would remain the way it is? How long do you think the population of Australia would remain at about 25 million? I mean, it seems to me that the population of Australia would probably rise uh, millions and millions every year. And so just as a matter of efficiency and as, as a matter... Of, of good administration and stewardship, you have borders which allow sovereign countries to control their own populations, so population doesn 't exceed the resources that are available. So it seems to me that the notion that the world is everyone's in common, and yet at the same time we have things like institutions like private property and borders, that so there's no inconsistency there at all.
1: Okay, thank you so much to Rob from Kalgoorlie in WA. We'll put a line under uh, calls at this point. I want to draw some loose ends together, Uh, only about five minutes or so remaining in our conversation and coming back to the Ramsey Centre and the bequest, it's talking about of course a $3 billion bequest and uh, ongoing funding for uh, Australian universities, a number of them have been offered this funding to offer these courses uh, in Western civilization. Uh, Let me ask you, Stephen Chavura, about the idea that Ramsey Center representatives wanted to monitor the implementation of the program. Uh, I wonder whether you can comment on whether that's normal for uh, a university course because one might have thought that uh, if you're studying higher degrees, research degrees, uh, no such restrictions could apply. So uh, what are your thoughts on on the idea of uh, of influence that might come from the Ramsey representatives?
0: Yeah, well, I mean that was one that that was one of the things that really lost them uh, the deal at, at the ANU. Now, according to Ramsey, uh, that wasn't something that was entirely uh, unique. Uh, Ramsey said that um, the, 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 the notion of monitoring the health of courses was something that had precedent in universities. And so according to Ramsey, that was something that um, they didn't just come up with themselves. It was something that had been practiced uh, um, among other centres. Uh, In universities, but yes, certainly. I mean, in in my uh, sort of 16 years uh, teaching at a university, I had never sort of had anyone come into my classes to uh, monitor the health of my classes. Uh, So that that was something that that perhaps that perhaps Ramsey will rethink, because it it made it very easy to accuse Ramsey of trying to inject a kind of ideological dogma. Uh, in, into the university uh, by sort of health checks that what that really meant according to ramsey's critics were correct ideology checks although can i just say neil uh, if, if, if i may uh, again neil I've, I've worked in universities for the last 16 years uh, the notion that universities are some haven of of ideological neutrality and that if ramsey came in and and, and brought in a more conservative uh, approach to studying Western civilization that, that would corrupt some kind of ideological or neutral purity is absolutely laughable. Universities are already fiercely ideological. Now, no academics deny that. Uh, it is a fact that universities are ideologically left-leaning there are studies done in in britain there are several studies done in america one by the pew research center in 2016. all of these point out that there is a massive ideological bias in universities towards left-leaning ideology so when people sort of say, oh, Ramsey is conservative and, and, and it wants to sort of inject sort of conservative ideology, ideology into the universities, the real problem that people have is not that Ramsey is ideological. The real problem they have is Ramsey is the wrong ideology. And what we need in universities is not so much some pious ideological neutrality. What we need is idea, actual ideological diversity where you have academics who are restrained in their biases, but at the same time, you know, they, they teach in, in faithfulness to what they truly believe, but that you have those academics' views being balanced by the views of other academics. And believe me, Neil, that makes for a far more exciting learning experience on on, on behalf of students. Universities are horribly ideologically biased.
1: So you might appreciate then uh, the cynicism uh, from the Ramsey Centre that if their courses are going to be taught, unless there's some sort of monitoring, then this left-wing, ideologically biased uh, set of lecturers who would come in to teach the course uh, could take the whole thing way off track in the first place. So uh, I imagine that that sort of cynicism, as you're saying, is very well-founded.
0: Uh, Look, mate, um, (laughs) absolutely, and and it'll be very interesting to see what is happening with the Ramsey courses in 10 years' time. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, um, university humanities departments are loaded with uh, people who are ideologically left, and that's not to say that there are no conservatives, but conservatives are few and far between selection committees are made up of these academics and so universities have full control over curriculum and over who uh, is appointed then it is almost inevitable that uh, you know over a five or ten year period the courses that the ramsey center offers you know may well differ very little from what is already going on in universities now i'm not saying that that is definite but Um, Yeah, it it is just something that the Ramsey Centre is going to have to negotiate and navigate with universities. And they're just going to have to come up with some kind of way of living whereby the universities uh, are able to run the Ramsey courses. But in a way uh, that is faithful to the aims of Ramsey, which is to study Western ideas in a very very traditional way, and that is to get philosophically... uh, sort of to the, the key philosophical ideas and ideals contained in these great texts to shed light on the ideas that have animated the West, as opposed to simply studying texts in order to uncover uh, how sexist, uh, racist and homophobic they are, which tends to be the emphasis of, uh, of the left uh, in universities over the last uh, 20 to 30 years especially, and I just don't know how things are going to go.
1: Uh, Well, the Australian National University, uh, it's uh, very cautious and the blockers are up. Uh, The two other universities, the University of Sydney and the University of Queensland, uh, they are the two that Gareth Evans is warning about the gift horse. He's talking about uh, you know the old saying, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, those two universities, they are now going to be, no doubt, going into negotiation with uh, the Ramsey Centre over this uh, course and this funding. Uh, what are your thoughts about whether, they, if they were to knock it back, would there be other universities who'd be then offered these courses?
0: Well, look, here's the thing. Uh, the, the courses really have to go to sandstone universities or, or Ramsey should just start its own institutions or maybe even negotiate with existing uh, liberal arts institutions that are already doing a very good job, uh, like uh, Campion College in Sydney. But here's the thing. Uh, Ramsey courses are meant to be taken only by those who get in the high 90s in, in their HSCs. Now, students who get in the high 90s will tend to go to the sandstone universities. So if Ramsey start moving to other non-sandstone universities, then they're going to find it very difficult, if not impossible, to populate their courses with enough students with marks in the very high 90s. And so they're probably going to have to lower the requirements for their courses. Uh, so, you know, th- that that's going to be a problem. Uh, so I really do hope, and, and I think in actual fact, Neil, that Ramsey will in fact, sew-up deals, I think, with Sydney. And and it wouldn't surprise me if they do manage to sew up a deal with Queensland. And, look, I just hope over time, when the ideological dust settles, and and, and this is largely forgotten, that the Ramsey Centre will be able to function more or less like any other centre on the university and be able to run courses that try to meet its own aims in terms of a, a an appreciation of the western tradition and approaching western texts from a traditional sort of philosophical uh, sweetness and light to quote matthew arnold perspective you know university centers tend to be pretty autonomous and i just hope that over time the ramsey center is able to enjoy the same autonomy that other university centers have right now it's just embroiled in an ideological conflict but I hope that won't be around forever.
1: Uh, Well, Stephen Shavura, time has run out. I want to thank you so much for taking some time today to share your thoughts and heart with us and uh, clarifying uh, as a Christian what you might be uh, interpreting when you're actually reading the news. So really certainly appreciate your insights and look forward to our next opportunity to chat again. But uh, Dr Stephen Shavura, political theorist and intellectual historian, thanks for being with us today on 2020.